looking at uh, a book in the Bible called uh, The Gospel According to John, and it was written by one of Jesus' closest friends, and he writes the book really to help us see who Jesus is. And uh, last week we talked about uh, really, John just kind of intros his book saying, hey, come and follow me as I show you what Jesus is like and come and see what he's like. That's how Jesus called his first disciples was with the call. Come and see. Come and see what life with me is like. And, and I just even before we uh, jump into the sermons and I want to uh, encourage you, I, what I, um, I'm doing this because obviously I, as I'm preaching, uh, I'm doing this, but I just think it would be really cool as, as we're going through this book, and it'll take us several weeks, if you kind of follow along and just try to read, basically we're, we're probably going to cover about a chapter every week, uh, maybe sometimes a little bit less than that, but if you just even on your own would follow along and read a chapter a week in the book of John, um, and maybe you do that kind of following the sermon just to kind of see even more and think even more about, man, who is Jesus? I think that could be a really cool thing to just kind of more and more and more see what John wants us to see, because we spend time here doing that, and if you're spending time by yourself doing that, I think it could be a great way to, to see what John wants us to see. And so tonight, we're looking at chapter two in the book of John, and, and just to kind of start, I want to ask you, what, what do you think God is like? Like, when you think of God, what kind of what comes to your mind? And I think everybody has some view of God. Even if you're an um, atheist, you have a view of God of just what, what you conceive of that you don't like or don't believe in. There's some concept of God that, that is in your mind that you would uh, know that other people kind of think about or believe in. If you're not sure what you believe in, if you're not a Christian... Uh, you have ideas about God. If you, if you believe in God, but maybe you're not sure. I don't know if I believe the Bible, or I'm not sure if I'm a Christian, but, but you have an idea about God, and you believe that there's some sort of being out there. You have ideas about what he's like. You probably think he's powerful and maybe wise, and most people think that God is a loving God. And so you have views of what God is like. And as Christians, we have views of what God is like. We read the Bible, and we see things that the Bible says about God. And yet, here's Here's what's true. I think we all have a really complicated relationship with God, or at least many of us have a complicated relationship with God. What I mean is we may know things like, man, God's a God of love, but we don't always necessarily feel his love, and we don't always necessarily feel loving towards him. And we may know that God is a God of wisdom, but there's still times that we go, God, what are you doing? I don't understand what you're doing, or God, why are you doing this? Or God, why are you doing that? Now, we may believe that God is a God of all power, and yet we still kind of go, God, why didn't you fix this? Or why aren't you doing something about that? And we think, man, God's a God of all power, but I want power. So I think we have a complicated relationship with God, no matter what your view of God is like. That we, we believe things about God, we have characteristics in mind of what God is like, and yet it's complicated. It's complicated. We think he's wise, but we don't necessarily always want to do everything he says. We think he's loving, but we don't always necessarily feel that love. And it's complicated. And I think sometimes we wonder, is there there a solution to move out of the complication of the relationship into just going, okay, here's what I believe about God, and I'm experiencing all of that. Is there a better way to relate to God? I think sometimes we wonder that, and sometimes I think what happens is that we go, I don't know if there is a solution. I don't know if there is a better way to relate to God other than complicated, and so sometimes we just ignore it. 
So you may believe in God, you may believe that God is there, you may be a Christian even and believe truths about God, and yet it's just kind of so complicated, all those different types of variables I just said, that what ends up happening is we just kind of ignore the relationship with God, but that doesn't really fix it. Because that might end complication in some way, but the relationship is then not really engaged with. I mean, we do this sometimes with other humans in our lives. The the relationship is complicated, so we just ignore it, but that doesn't change that it's still complicated, and a lot of times comes back to bite you. Or sometimes what happens is we go, man, relationship with God is complicated. I, I, I believe certain things about God, and yet I don't necessarily live in light of all that I believe. It's this complicated relationship. Is there a better way to relate? And so we go, I just need to get more religious. I need to read my Bible more. I need to maybe serve the poor more. I need to do some better things. I need to treat people better. I need to come to church more. I need to serve more. And we try to kind of fill up religious activity because our relationship with God is complicated. We don't know what to do. And we can wonder, is there a better way to relate with God? Is there a better way to relate with God, all the different things that we believe, and yet it still can be complicated? And John writes to us today to say, there is a better way to relate with God. There is a better way. And so this is what we're going to look at in chapter 2. And so if you have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, you can have the one in front of you. And John's going to talk to us about kind of the first stuff that Jesus did in his ministry. And so here, here we go. Chapter 2 says, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? And this is not disrespectful, just so you know. I mean, that translated is kind of like ma'am, um, so he's not being super tender and dear with her, but he's, he's not being disrespectful either. What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So she goes, okay, okay, that's fine, but do whatever he says. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and would people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. And manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. The Passover of the Jews was at hand. This is one of their festivals. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? They're a little perturbed, as you could imagine. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple And in three days, I will raise it up. 
the Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So they didn't really understand what he was saying then. So if you ever listen to Jesus and don't get what he's saying, you're in good company. But afterwards, when he raised from the dead, they go, ah, I get what he was talking about. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So, in these two stories, which can seem kind of different at first, you look at them and kind of two very different pictures of Jesus, it seems, these two pictures, but John puts them together. He puts them together because he wants us to see something about how there's a better way to relate to God. And so this is what we will begin with. What is the better way to relate to God that John is wanting us to see? And, and to kind of just set up the first story, the context is this. I mean, a wedding today in our day is a big deal, right? Some of you are married. Your wedding took a long time to plan. The wedding industry in our country is a, I mean, I don't know, million dollar, at least billion dollar industry. I mean, it's a very, it's a very big deal today to have a wedding, right? But then, I mean, it was, I mean, it makes the weddings we have look like nothing because these were, these were huge. I mean, it would have been almost like a regional festival. You're only going to have probably one or two of these a year. You're going to have people from all over coming to this. I mean, even this is Jesus' mother was at a wedding and then Jesus came to the wedding because his mom was there. And then because Jesus' mom was there, Jesus brought his disciples there. I mean, this was a regional thing. It would have been, man, this is like the big event of the year or one of two of the year. So don't just think kind of small time chapel wedding. Think, man, this is a huge thing. This is a big, giant festival, big, giant party, big, giant feast. And they run out of wine. Now for you and I, if you ever throw a party, Running out of wine is a big deal for us. Like, you don't want to run out of wine or beer or water or whatever you're serving. I guess you don't run out of water or juice or izzies. We have a lot of izzies around here. You don't want to run out of something. You don't, I mean, that's embarrassing, right? If you've ever had a party or ever gone to a party and someone's like, oh, I ran out. I mean, it's embarrassing. But for them, it wasn't just embarrassing. It was huge. I mean, it was huge. It would have been very shameful. It would have been very, very embarrassing for the family. And some historians even say a lawsuit could have been brought against them. I mean, that's a, like, if you ever go to a party and you're like, hey, can I have a cream puff? And like, sorry, we're out. And you're like, I'm going to sue you, right? That's, I mean, that's a little weird. But for them, this is huge. This is a big, de- so to run out of wine was not like, oh, you know, party foul. It was, it was devastating, humiliating. It was a big deal to run out of wine. Big deal. So this is kind of the context of what's, happening. And John says, people go, Jesus' mom goes up to Jesus and asks him to do something about it. And he says, when it was all done, when it was all done, there was something about that that revealed his glory. There was something about it that revealed his glory. So they asked Jesus, hey, we want you to fix this. And John concludes the story saying, when it was all done, it revealed his glory and that it was a sign. And that doesn't mean just it was a magic trick. A sign means, for John, and he uses that language throughout the book, a sign means that it was a pointer to who Jesus was. 
A sign means John's wanting us to know here's who Jesus is as Messiah, as God, as King, as Savior, as all the stuff that he sets up in the first chapter. And he says throughout the book, there's going to be certain signs that show this is who Jesus is. This is what he's like. This is his character. And so John says, they run out of wine, they come to Jesus and ask him to fix something. And when it's all done, what he did showed his glory, and it was a sign of who he was, a sign of his character. It was a sign. It was a sign of a better way to relate to God. So what is it? What is it about what Jesus did that is a sign? What is it about what Jesus did that shows his glory? Because it's not just a magic trick. It's not what John's saying. It's not John is, John's not just saying, look, boom, Jesus can do this, boom, he can do that, rabbit out of a hat. That's not what John is saying. He's saying there's something about this that showed his glory, that showed who he was, a sign of who he was. So what was it? What was it about this that shows us even how there's a better way to relate to God? And what we need to understand is this is one of the first things that Jesus did. You know, anytime someone's first thing they do it's a big deal. Like right now in the election, this is an election year, right? And people interview candidates and they'll ask Donald Trump, okay, if you get elected president, what's the first thing you're going to do as president? And he'll say something. They'll ask Hillary, if you're elected president, what's the first thing you're going to do as president? Because the first thing that somebody does, it's a big deal, right? You want the first thing that you do to be really big and really important and really describe what you're about. This is why a lot of times artists, uh, the first place that they'll tour might be their hometown or some city that has some sort of significance on their CD. The first song isn't going to be a lame song. It's going to be, hey, this is the one that this CD is about. Whatever the first thing is, it means something. The first thing means something. And this is what Jesus chose to be his first thing, to show, here's the first thing I'm going to do. This is the first sign that I'm going to give to you of who I am. This is the first time I'm going to reveal my glory. This is the first time. Because whatever the first thing is, whatever the first thing is, we want people to see, this is what I'm really about. You don't, you don't, you don't want to be mistaken. You want your first thing to show kind of a summary this is what my ministry is going to be about. This is what I'm, this is the core of who I am. That's what you want your first thing to be, right? You don't want to mess up the first thing. You want the first thing to be representative of this is who I am. This is who I am. And so think about, I mean, you know, you, we already read the story, but think about if God were to show up today, if God were to show up today and he wanted to say, I want to show you the real me. I want to show you what I'm really about. What do we think that he would do? We might think he might wipe some people out that we don't like. We might think that world hunger would be solved or global warming would be done or, or whatever you think is a problem. There'd be peace all of a sudden. Everyone's weapons would just dissipate. I mean, you, you, you think, man, what is God really going to show? This is what I'm about. And Jesus, when he shows up, the first thing when he's saying, this is what I'm about. He doesn't heal people. He doesn't raise someone from the dead. He doesn't feed people. He doesn't preach a sermon. The first thing he does to say, this is what I'm about. What is it? He makes wine for a party. He makes wine. For, he makes top shelf wine for a party. 
Because they say, man, they don't taste it and go, uh, okay, it's all right. I guess we'll serve it. They say, you are, man, everybody already serves the good stuff, but you brought out stuff that's way better than anything we've ever had. The first thing Jesus does to show us what he's about is he makes wine for a party. He makes wine for a party. And it's not just because it's wine. See, the, in the Old Testament, that if, if people were paying attention then, they would have known, and we even read it at the beginning uh, as the opening scripture, that wine was associated with the Messiah coming. Wine was associated with the joy that God brings to his people. Wine was associated with when the Messiah comes, there's going to be feasting and there's going to be delicious wine that's drank. And even throughout the Bible, wine's associated with the joy that God brings to his people. And the Messiah is the one that's going to bring in this age of feasting and celebration and joy with God. And so Jesus says, the first thing, I want you to know who I really am. I want you to know the core. I want you to know the real me. I want you to know what I'm about. And he makes wine. He makes wine to show that he is the one that brings joy. That he's the one that brings celebration. That he's the one that brings feasting. And John said it shows his glory. It shows, I mean, if you think, even when we think about God's glory, John said this, this showed his glory. This showed what he's about. This was a sign of who he is. This is a sign of who he is. And I think we even have to think not even just of wine, because uh, for us, wine a lot of times is associated with like, I'm having some nice cheese and a nice dinner party and I'm having some wine. But this is a little bit more like champagne, because it's a, some, it's a big celebratory thing. And the Messiah comes and he brings champagne to say, this is what I'm about. This is what I'm about. I'm about joy. What's crazy about this is one of the main reasons that people turn away from God or turn away from church or turn away from Jesus or turn away from Christianity is because they're looking for joy. And they think, man, I, I don't, I, I'm done with all this stodginess. I'm done with all these rules. I'm done with all this control. I'm done with all this. I want freedom. I want joy. And so I'm, I'm going to walk away from that. Isn't that crazy? Because Jesus says, what are you talking about? I'm the one that comes to bring better wine. But see, we're all searching for joy. We're all searching for that life and that party and that feasting. That's what we all are looking for, every single one of us. And just like this, it runs out. Just like this, it runs out. And Jesus says, I'm the one that's come to bring joy. And to me, this is so sad. To me, this is so sad. You know, I, I started earlier saying, what, what is your view of God? And if you go on Google Images, which is, uh, you know, it's just kind of a, a collection of our collective consciousness of how we view things and think of things. And you go on Google Images and you put in God or you put in Jesus, and this is what comes up. Glow-in-the-dark Jesus. Shepherd Jesus. This Jesus. This King, King Jesus. Giant hat Jesus. I mean, th- these are the, the, the view that we have of God. I mean, this is the view we have of God. This is what we think of when we think of God. Something like this, all-powerful, in the sky, maybe some sort of regal, maybe some sort of 
nice and kind and gentle, always carrying a sheep with him, which, glowing in the dark. I mean, th- that's the view that we have of God, of Jesus. And he says, I want you to see who I am. This is another one. This, I mean, these are all, I didn't search, I didn't dig deep for these. These are all the first, like, five that come up. I mean, this is, that's how we view God. But this is a more accurate picture of what Jesus is saying he's like. And you might be offended by that, but I think that shows your view of God is wrong. Jesus says, I come to bring the party. I come to bring joy. Or this, if you prefer. I come to bring joy. I come to bring the party. That's what Jesus is saying he's about. I mean, look at, this is John, this is the Bible. This is, and I'm, I'm not even, I'm not even, I'm, uh, never mind. There was something else I was going to say, but I'm not going to say it. But let's just say that, well, let's just say that wedding's been, no, I'm done. Okay, so, but this is what he does. That's what Jesus, I want you to see what I'm like. I'm one that brings joy. You know what's even crazy? If you turn, if you, if you Google image Jesus turning water into wine, here's what comes up. Does that look exciting? I mean, they don't even get it. Michaela, don't use this picture back in uh, children's ministry, okay? They don't even get it. They don't even get it. I mean, this is like, is that what you think was happening when Jesus turned? I mean, is, look, have you ever, I've never, but, but I mean, have you ever seen, have you ever been to a Jewish wedding? Okay, I hope you have. I've never. But, I mean, I've seen Fiddler on the Roof, okay? And Fiddler on the Roof, I mean, Jewish wedding, even if you've never been to one, you know it's not like this. This is Jewish wedding in Google Images, Okay, and this is, you know, recent, not back then, but. Okay, that's so that's what was going on. Jesus shows up and says, I came to make this party better. Like, it's not this, guys. It's not that. Jesus says, I'm the, sh- the way I'm going to show you my glory, the way I'm going to show you what I'm about, the way I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to make I'm going to bring joy I'm going to make the party better. See, what's God like? We have this complicated relationship. And I think sometimes we wonder, is there a better way to relate with God? And John says there is. Because you know what God is like? You know what Jesus said he's like? You know what Jesus said the first thing that he is going to show his glory in? When he wanted to say, I don't want there to be any confusion of what I'm about. I'm about this. And he says, I bring joy. That's what Jesus did. And John says there's a better way to relate to God. He's one that comes to bring joy and feasting. That's who Jesus is. That's how Jesus invites us to relate to him. And and let me just be clear. That doesn't mean what Jesus is saying is, so just have fun and do whatever you want. But it's that everything that Jesus tells us to do and everything he invites us into and everything he calls us to, the purpose is all Joy. Joy. Look, I'm going to beat this drum till the day I die because this is what Jesus is about. He is the one that says, I come to bring joy. And so I'm going to inaugurate my ministry with this. But I know you're skeptical because if you're not a Christian, you may go, that's not what I've heard about God. That's not what I think about God. It's not how I view God. Or even if you are a Christian, you may say, well, okay, that's nice, but it doesn't seem like that's how I relate with God. So if that's really 
the better way to relate with God is he comes to bring joy and he comes to bring feasting, but I don't know about that. It's not necessarily how I relate with him. It's not necessarily what it feels like to me. I know, I know we can be skeptical about that. Skeptical about that. So how can we have this better way? How can we have that better way to connect to God and to relate with God? And there's things that keep us from that. There's things that keep us from relating to God like that in our life. And let me just ask you, no, no raising of hands or anything, but when you think about your life right now, do you relate with God like that? Is that how you relate with God? How can we, how can we have this better way to relate with God? How can we have that? And there's things that keep us, and, and here's one of the things that keep us that we'll see in this text. I think we all know this, whether you know it intuitively or you know it directly, as in you've read it in the Bible and you've heard about it, and even these images show it that we looked at, the, 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 the most common images, that God is holy. See, I think we all know this either intuitively or directly, that God is holy, he's other, he's distant. And God is... God is righteous, and he's pure, and God is uh, big, and God is a judge, and God is perfect, and God is just, and God can't stand sin, and God can't stand unrighteousness, and God is one that is so big and holy and different and righteous and powerful and wise, and we know that. But have you ever been around someone kind of like that in your life? Um, and, you know, maybe it's toned down a bit, but so- someone that maybe you just super respected or someone that you just thought, man, this is the best person. They are, the, they, they, they are killing it in the field that I want to be in. Or morally, man, they are just, I want to be like them. And what happens is, what happens if you get close to that person? At least for me. You get close to that person and you start to kind of feel insecure, right? Have you had that experience? Maybe not. Maybe you are that person then. Like, I'm the one at the top of my career. Okay, well, then if, I, if someone gets near you, that's how they feel. And maybe now things make sense if you're like, wow, why is everyone you know, cowering in my presence? Um, because you get close to someone and if they are big and powerful and righteous and perfect, we feel our insecurity. And we feel our inadequacy and we feel our insufficiency and we feel that, which then does what? I mean, if, if that's how we view God, and God is like that. I'm not saying it's just a view. God is holy and he's perfect and he's righteous. But then what happens is a lot of times we want to distance ourselves from him. And you might not even consciously think through that, but here's how you know. Have you ever thought, man, I don't really want to go to church I don't really want to go to church because, not because the Broncos are on, but because I don't want to hear about God, and I don't want to hear about sin, and I don't want to hear about, because it starts to make you feel you're aware of where you're not, or you don't want to read your Bible. I mean, people have even told me, man, I don't want to read the Bible, because I don't want to hear about where I'm falling short, or how awesome God is, because I'm not. Or sometimes people don't want to dig into looking at their problems and their issues, whether that's in counseling or with other friends, because they don't even, they don't, they know stuff's in there, but they don't even want to see it. Not because they're denying it, but they just don't even want to, they don't, they don't want to feel 
I want to feel him. So sometimes what happens is we distance ourselves from him, which then creates, well, yeah, I believe certain things about God, but it's complicated. You know, Facebook status, relationship with God, complicated. That's what you put. 